science. Hello everybody, it's great to uh, have your company uh, this Monday afternoon, uh, as usual, uh, and uh, it's uh, Andrew and me this week, uh, looking at science in the news, science behind the news. If, even if science isn't your bag, you just stay with us for a little while. Um, big thanks to uh, Pat for the show that uh, just went before. It's, he's such a busy man, Pat Hart, isn't he? he in is. and around Bristol, mm. talking to people, finding stories that really matter. It's great. And if you're interested uh, in... Um, any uh, listening to any of the programs uh, and the other programs uh, that uh, are on BCFM, then uh, you can go to bcfmradio.com and uh, go and uh, look up the program that you want. You can find it listed there under under shows, uh, and that includes this show. And uh, you can listen all oh, forever back. Um, to uh, our highlights, some, yeah. some of our most scintillating conversations yeah. are there. Yeah. You, you can listen so far back that you'd have to start listening to this show next week before you had to get, carry on, if you yeah. know what I mean. Oh, it's just absolutely astonishing. <laughs> I know, I know, it's uh, amazing. <laughs> anyway, do do that. But do, I, did you hear that advert just before we, just before the, we came on air? I, I, to be honest, I, I just think, I want to talk like that. Oh, know? that one. Yeah, yeah, this is Andrew Glaster. Yeah. You've got a and much lovelier voice than that. Do you think, I mean... People get paid an awful lot of money yeah. to talk like that for m- movie trailers, don't they? They do, yeah. And, yeah. and, and I wonder why it's always that gravelly, mm. gravelly sort of voice. I think it's because if I said, um, coming soon yeah. to BBC, no, no, yeah. to it's, a cinema near you, it's not that exciting, is no, it? No, I know. If I said the same, yes. Um, uh, exa- well, I, don't I was going to give an example there, but I won't because I'm, was- I'm wasting time. Uh, what I was going to ask you, and the reason I'm babbling... Yeah. Bubbling like a fool yeah. like this yeah. is because I was going to ask you if you are into scary films. Um, I know you're into science fiction, yeah. some of which are scary. Yeah, it's a funny one, that, isn't it? I don't think I really am. Are you? Uh, yeah, actually. You are, I, you? I am for some. Mm. Uh, there's, there's certain kinds of scariness that yeah. I quite like. I'm not big, so I draw a distinction. I'm not big on horror. Okay. Because uh, I find that a little bit too disturbing. Oh right, um, but but um, I'm I'm I quite like a scary film. What sort uh, of and scary? There, and, and I draw a distinction between I, I'm drawing a distinction between goriness, okay, you know, yeah. and, and and scariness. So psychological so, fear, you you're yeah, okay. yeah, and ghosts and stuff like that is fine is fine by me. Okay, do you yeah. find it scary? Well, part of me goes, yeah, there's a film crew standing there yeah. behind, you know, and yeah. it must be really hard for her to look so terrified with all those people standing around in the, in the room, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's a trick that I do. But occasionally, if I get really sucked into it mm. and, whoa, yeah, I'm gripping gripping a cushion and, and, and being ready to, to be mm. scared. I think the thing that I have with these, um, like, ghost things is... I. I if they're really good, I can enjoy them a great deal, but I can't get scared by them because I I know there aren't ghosts, right? I know yeah. that's not a real thing. Yeah. I'm sorry if you believe there are ghosts and you're listening, but uh, I, I know for a fact that there aren't. Oh. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Throw no, down the gauntlet there. I just there. literally can't, can't believe that there are ghosts, right? Um, we could get into that if you want, but let's not worry too much about it. Yeah. The fact is that because I don't, and I, I, it just makes no sense, it 
there's no evidence it's all just not real if i see a ghost in a, if the scary thing in a film is a ghost it's like well i'm not i'm struggling with that whereas if the scary thing is that kevin spacey might be uh, cast into something that i like then that's a real thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um uh, apparently there are really good reasons why we like because because this is this is a really interesting thing in normal life being scared is a horrible thing and we do everything we possibly can to avoid it don't we yeah and being scared is stressful and it's tiring and it's just extremely uncomfortable and we don't like it and we want to get out of it mm. but Millions of us flock to the cinema mm. or we'll sign up to Netflix or Amazon or something mm. and, 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 and sit huddled at home maybe in the dark mm. uh, w- w- with a friend watching mm. something really scary. And it's, it's really strange. It turns out that, that um, and of course this will happen this Halloween as well on, on, on Wednesday, uh, people will be uh, partic- picking out their scary films to watch late at night. It turns out that it's really, really pleasurable. Mm. And I wonder what the difference uh, is. I've got a few ideas. Okay, because it's a bit like uh, roller coasters, isn't it? Watching a film that you find scary is a bit like going on a roller coaster because you you you're sort of in control of the fear, and you know it's going to end at some point, or at least yeah. you hope it is. Well, I suppose when you get off a roller coaster, you don't then disappear off into uh, into your bedroom and worry that you're going to fall off the side of a roller coaster. Whereas if you have watched a film about yeah. perhaps people knocking on the window, yeah, and begging you to come out just as a clown or something. <laughs> yeah. And you don't want to dress as a clown and go out of your house, then that would be something that you would find very terrifying. Um, so th- maybe that's where it's different to a roller coaster. But that yeah. idea of being able to control the fear, feel the fear and control it, seems like a benefit for us to be able to, to do that. Is that... Exactly. I, th- I think that's right. I mean, sci- sci- scientists, psychologists and, and neuroscientists study this kind of thing, say, well, the, fir- the first thing is it's being... It's controlled fear. So you go, right, I'm, I'm going to allow you to scare me, but I can get up and walk out of this room at any time, or walk out of this cinema at any time if, if, I, if I wanted to. Mm. Um, apparently, it's, um, we just love having our emotions uh, triggered. So, so that's why we cry copiously, or some of us cry copiously at certain tearjerker films, mm. because we know it, we know it isn't real. Um, or rather, it's it's not our emotion mm. that we're sympathising with, but but there's something about letting our emotions flow, including fear, in a, in a controlled environment. And then apparently, there's dopamine, okay. the, the big dopamine rush, which is uh, uh, which is a hormone which is associated with being frightened, but also associated with being uh, with with pleasure. Mm. And you get a big dopamine rush from being scared. Mm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's the same kind of effect that you're getting, whether yeah. you're scared or... You know, I'm, I'm interested to know whether... You know, when you watch a, a horror film or a, a scary film, and you're, you're a rational man, Malcolm, <laughs> um, relatively speaking... <laughs> That's very kind of you and, to say so. There's no evidence um, for this, yeah, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I like to believe things for which there are no evidence, like, yeah. like ghosts and aliens. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you're a rational man, and I feel like I'm relatively rational, but sometimes you can just persuade yourself that you've heard something or that you might hear something or something might be there in the dark and you can rationalize it as much as you possibly can but you can't stop the hairs on the back of your neck standing up no 
No, that's absolutely right. And I guess we're primed, aren't we? This is a similar kind of thing that happens. Um, just, I'm just taking it away from this for a moment. If, for example, you have a horrible experience on a bus, say there's a huge row breaks out on a bus or there's a frightening person on a bus, and uh, the next time you go on a bus, you're going to be feeling anxious. Mm. Normal people feel anxious. Even though this has never happened to you before, and it might never happen to you again. The fact that something has happened to you recently makes you think it's very likely to happen again. And I think the same emotions, if you're frightened of flying and you hear of a terrible plane crash, mm. you think, oh, I, th that's confirmed it then. I'm never going to get on a plane, even though we know that, that travelling by plane is the safest form of, 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 of travel. Mm. It's, it's less accident-prone than any other kind of travel, travelling in a vehicle of any other kind. Um, but we're just, we're just programmed to do that. And if you've been watching a, a film in which, you know, you walk in, someone walks into their bedroom and there's a figure sitting on the bed, next time you go into your bedroom you know, and switch the light on, mm. part of you is going to be ready yeah. for the figure sitting on the bed. And our brains do this until eventually, of course, that, that, that feeling wears off. You shouldn't sit on people's beds. <laughs> <laughs> that you don't know. No, no. Uninvited. No, that's definitely not something you should do. I, yeah. I, it, it always reminds me of the, uh, the, the, the idea that we are not very good at managing uh, risk and our desire to control a situation is such... So, so, for example, if there's an earthquake, most people will then get in a car and try and drive away from it. Yes. Whereas you're incredibly unlikely to be harmed by a second earthquake in a location. Yeah. You're very likely to be, con yeah. comparatively so, yes. to, to be hurt in a car crash. Yes. So you're putting yourself in a much more dangerous situation because you then feel you're in control of it. Yeah. And that feeling of control is, is really important to us as humans, even if it makes us actually more in a more risky situation. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a whole science there as well, which would be really interesting to explore sometime, yeah. about how you can learn in a crisis of some sort to overcome your fear and act in a, in a sensible way. We should do that. Yeah, definitely, should. definitely do that at some point. Yeah. Um, now, uh, it's got colder. It has. Uh, notably colder. It started to get cold um, uh, just before the weekend, and it was really cold over the weekend. Uh, or, well, I say really cold. Um, if you if you live in uh, Saskatchewan or something, you probably uh, would laugh at us. But um, uh, I'm guessing that makes the sky. Well, I'm, no, I'm not guessing. I've noticed the sky is a lot clearer. That's really good. High pressure is generally associated with cold weather and uh, generally clearer skies. Is there anything <laughs> particular? I was going to say, is there anything interesting going up there? There's millions of interesting things. Mm. Anything particular uh, um, that we can look at? It's, well, there's another thing as well, which I like to... Because uh, obviously the clocks went back on Saturday night. Yeah. And, and that means that it gets darker earlier in the evening. Yeah. Which is great news if you're an astronomer, right? Oh, uh, yeah, a little bit more uh, viewing yeah. time. Yeah. And uh, it's at this time. Is that right? I don't. I don't. I can't work out. I can't think if that's right or not. <laughs> but it feels right. Um, anyway, it's darker in in the evenings earlier. Anyway, at this time of year, and um, the clearer skies mean that it's it's useful. If you've got binoculars, you've never pointed them at the sky, or if you've got a telescope, you've never pointed at the sky, or even if you have, it's just a really good time to look at those um, those 
things in the sky which are more difficult to see in the summer months because of the more perturbations in the atmosphere. Obviously, as you're looking through the atmosphere, you'll know if you've seen a road that's hot, you can see the air moving in it. Yeah. So if you're looking... Looks a bit watery. Yeah. Exactly. So if you're looking at the night sky through a warmer atmosphere, then it's more uh, wobbly and you can't see as clearly. Through a colder atmosphere, everything's a bit clearer. So I'd like to just have two examples of things which are quite fun to look at um they are uh so there's there's a star called epsilon lyra now it's mm. it's near the constellation of lyra or in the constellation of lyra depending on how big you want to extend that constellation to but there's a very bright star in the constellation of lyra called vega just up to the left of vega um you'll see a star which if you look at it through binoculars normally, you might, if you had a good night's vision, you might see that it's actually a double star. So it looks like, to the naked eye, it looks like one star. When you look through it binoculars, you can see it's two stars. When the night sky is clear, as it is at the moment, with this these few perturbations, you can see that each of those t- stars is also two stars. Ah. So what looks like one star... Um, normally, if you look through binoculars at this time of year on a nice clear night, you can see that it's actually four stars that are so close together from our perspective that they are um, looking like one star. And I, I always like to, to put that as an example because it just makes you think how many stars there are in the night sky. When we yeah. think of what we just, you see yeah. one, it's actually yeah. four. Yes. And then you think of all the ones we can't see. Yeah. It's just. We all know how many stars there are. Yeah, so sometimes we're looking up and we go, oh, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Yeah. And it's actually a mass of stars, maybe. Absolutely. And there's another one. Uh, so there's, there's something called the Summer Triangle, which is a bit weird, but they are around at uh, this time of year, these three bright stars. One is Vega, one is Deneb, and one is Altair. And um, is it Altair? I think it is. Um, there's a star uh, in... Um, in that part, in, in near Altair, I think, which is called Alberia. I can't help you with no, this. Don't worry, that's <laughs> fine. I do, it, yeah, look it up, it'll be fine. But there's a, there's a star called Alberia, which if you look at that through um, binoculars or probably you're going to want to look at this through a telescope, you'll see that it's a double star, but one of them is considerably bigger than the other one. And you can actually see that one of them is sort of an amber colour and the other one is a blue-green colour. Yeah. And that's a really lovely thing you can really get. At this time of year, you can start to see the colours in the stars in the night sky. And that's really worth getting out there, possibly outside the city, into somewhere a bit darker and having a look up through a telescope or binoculars. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, thank, thanks for that. Well, we're going to be carrying on looking at a bit of uh, science news uh, in just a few moments. Um, uh, coming up, we're going to be talking about uh, some climate-friendly cooling, um, uh, earthquakes in Lancashire, um, a couple of galaxies colliding, uh, how clo- uh, clothes, crows are 
incredibly clever. Um, and uh, you are listening to uh, Love and Science on BCFM with me, Malcolm Love and Andrew Glester. So we have a, a look at some of the science stories. There are always hundreds of them. Um, and uh, it's uh, always a job to uh, pick out uh, a good science story. This this one I really like. It's um, uh, the BBC uh, have been carrying this on their uh, science news page. Uh, researchers in the United States have scaled up a new low cost system that could provide efficient cooling for homes while using very little electricity. Now we uh, here in the UK we don't worry too much about cooling. I was I often say to people it's easier to keep warm than it is to keep cool mm. I, I i think generally that's the that that's the case i mean mm. sometimes it's hard to keep warm but it's even harder to yeah. keep cool you know when, when temperatures soar and this summer we saw some pretty runaway uh temperatures in yeah. the in the uk and of course um uh, proper air conditioners are are, are really expensive and, and we think well you know we don't want to um uh, lash out for something which maybe we're only going to need for a couple of uh, weeks of the of the year mm. um, but also the thing about air conditioners is they're incredibly hard on the environment you know they're using a a, 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 a lot of energy and apparently uh, this story is that um, a team has developed what they call a roof a roof a roof top sized array built from highly reflective material which is made from glass and polymers but it's a material that does not exist in nature and um, uh, the system keeps water around 10 degrees centigrade cooler than the ambient air so basically um, uh, there's a kind of a, a film that you can roll out on your roof and it's it's used to basically keep water cool yeah I mean, it, as you say, it's, it's hard for us sitting in a cold day here in Bristol to imagine that this is important, but uh, well, what is it? In, in 2016, 10% of the world's energy was, was caused by air conditioning. So 10%. So, wow. And that's set to triple in uh by 2050 because we're working really hard to keep cooler yeah yeah absolutely um so if you can imagine that we've got a situation where 10 percent now and it's climbing to 30 we really need to be finding ways of cooling down buildings cooling down data centers cooling down nuclear plants that isn't going to be using all this energy yeah. So it's a great thing. It, it's, it's it's a bit like a loom, uh, al, I nearly said aluminum, <laughs> <laughs> aluminium foil, right? Yeah. Um, but a little bit thicker. But it can literally be rolled up like that and then spread over the top of a house to keep the or a building or whatever to keep the keep the insides of it ten percent cooler. Is that right? Um, uh, ten degrees cooler. Sorry, ten degrees cooler. Uh, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I understand that, um, or, or the impression that I've got from this, is that you can use it actually to cool uh, water pipes and those kinds of things. Oh. That, uh, and and, and um, just just helps to step down the, mm. yeah, the average temperature. Because uh, um, air cooling devices um, are, are apparently extremely inefficient. Mm. Yes. Okay. So, but it, yeah. Because it, it, it allows the heat of the water to come out 
as well. Yeah. So this this you put this film on the top of whatever's got the water in it, and yeah. then the, the, any heat from the water can come out, but it yeah. reflects the heat away at the same time. I think so. Yeah. It, it, it reflects away most and nearly all of the of, of the rays back yeah. into back into space, which was their intention. But they've discovered that actually, in practice, they've discovered that also it allows the heat to come out. Uh, which wasn't an intended result, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those accidental things. But you find that all the time, don't you, with scientific research? You set out to do one thing and then you go, wow, (laughs) it does this as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. but there there we go. Um, I wished I understood the technology a little bit better, (laughs) but I must must say I do do applaud this. Um, On the other hand, this week... Um, uh, in the papers, we've got uh, uh, stories about little mini earthquakes happening in Lancashire. Now, there's not. Um, uh, we should should just say. Well, as far as I know, um, there are no earthquakes which have caused um, any uh, particular damage. I mean, people haven't had, um, you know cracks in the floor or, or, or the walls or whatever their houses. I don't even know that people have reported it. But um, you'll know that fracking, of course, a very uh, controversial uh, process as lots of um, protesters have been there for uh, years now protesting at the Quadrilla site um, not far from Preston. And um, uh, lo and behold, uh, after the fracking started just a few days ago, they've had to halt um, because there's been... Um, I think now three reports yeah, of, uh, of earthquakes about a mile underground. Well, there's been, uh, just in the last hour, they've had to pause uh, fracking again because right. of another one. And I think the interesting thing about these tremors is, yeah, as you say, they're all quite low-level tremors. There's, uh, the latest one is 1.1 magnitude, which is not something that's going to cause damage but the, uh, on the surface. Right? Yeah. It could, could be causing damage underneath, which is yeah. one of the concerns yeah. for fracking, that it would cause a problem and then leak out into... Um, things would leak out into the water system. Uh, yeah, and the water stable. table, yeah. Um, but the, the, the interesting thing... So it's, um, since it started, there have been... I think 18 of these earth tremors in the first 10 days of this fracking, right? Yeah. And they're going up right. in, in severity. So on, Saturday, on Friday, it was 0.8 magnitude. On Saturday, there was one point nine. Today, in the last hour, 1.1. So it's going oh, up. Oh, right. Up That's, up. yeah. Um, and it, but I, the, I just, these, these little, they're small earthquakes. We should just say they're small earthquakes. Yeah. You don't give the impression that, you know, they're major earthquakes. Uh, they are sort of expected, aren't they, as this process continues? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there was, uh, in the last decade, um, in Oklahoma, and that's the same time period that fracking has been happening in, yeah. in Oklahoma, earthquakes have gone up by 13,000%. <laughs> so right. there's, there's, there's no argument, although you will find some fracking supporters who say it doesn't cause any kind of problems from, from earth yeah. tremors. That's not true. It clearly does. The science demonstrates that it causes, um, as far as we can prove anything, yeah. it, it causes earthquakes. Um, what, it, what it does, what we do have to be... I keep, we keep saying this, but they're not big earthquakes. They're not the kind of thing that's going to be shaking your house yet. But the problem is, as, you, as they keep going up, when do they stop going up? Yeah. You know when do the, when does this process stop? Yeah, and I I I think you're probably uh, in agreement with me on this, Malcolm. But it's yeah. just it's not it's not just this, right? With fracking, it's also that what you're trying to get out is gas. Yeah, and 
we've yeah. just had a report from the IPCC that tells us that we need to be going for renewable yeah. energies the, dramatically more, not spreading out into yeah. new ways of getting more fossil fuels. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I no, I do, I do agree with you, and and um, but my my beef uh, actually. I think that the, uh, the 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 technology does have some problems with it. I, I, I think the biggest problem with the with the um, the technology side of it, the sort of immediate risk to the local community, is it. It's it's absolutely fine if it if it works well. You know, if it, if, if if everything goes according to plan, well, it seems to me to be reasonable. If we if we were talking about this. Uh, hundred years ago, yeah. which we wouldn't have been able to do, but if we if if, if we were, then uh, not knowing the climate risks and things and, and 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 the need for 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 getting the gas out, well, okay, you'd probably say it's reasonable risk. If everything goes right, if it goes wrong, then what happens is you poison the water table, yeah. and that is catastrophic. Yeah. It's very very hard to see you know how you would put that right in, in 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 a very long period of time. However, my biggest anxiety is the one that you've said, is, is what on earth are we doing promoting uh, the using of fossil fuels when we know that, that we're running the wrong direction? Mm. You know, there's a monster coming and we're running towards it. Mm. We, we should be uh, doing everything in our power to Absolutely. get energy from other sources. Well, it seems, to be, it seems to be a political argument, right? It seems to be, well, OK, so we can, we can get our own gas here. We don't have to rely on Russia. Yeah, for gas, and yeah. I think I think gas. So provides, that's a security issue. Uh, yeah, and I yeah. think Russia provides something like one percent of our gas at the moment. Yeah, so that's yeah. not a real argument. So what no. are the real reasons that we're going for this? It suggests to me it may be something about money, possibly. Mm, could be, could be. Oh well. We've got some more stories coming up. Um, so we're looking at some science in the news, science behind the news. And um, uh, this, is, <laughs> this story is the news of colliding galaxies. I mean, this is big. Yeah. This is bigger than a presidential election in the United States. This is bigger than Brexit. It's bigger than Col the budget. Bigger than the budget. Yeah, colliding galaxies. So um, what I'm not entirely clear well first of all this is real this is a real story this yeah. isn't science fiction um there seems oh. to be evidence that a couple of galaxies have collided which presumably happens every now and again yeah um and i would expect that to be spectacular yeah you would kind of expect that wouldn't you yeah um so yeah this is a story uh coming out of the southern hemisphere or at least what you can see in the night sky in the southern hemisphere. We right. can't see it here. So this is what the Australians and the New Zealanders yeah. and other people will be seeing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they won't be seeing the collision, but there are two satellite galaxies of our own galaxy, the Milky Way. There are two satellite galaxies. You'll understand from the word satellite galaxy that there are galaxies which orbit around our galaxy. Oh, really? Yeah, they're near our galaxy. I have to tell you, I have never heard of this. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I didn't know that this happened. So yeah. we've got... So our galaxy is called the Milky Way. I just, yeah. I'm just double-checking here. I've got this yeah. right. Which looks a bit like a couple of dinner plates... Um, okay. Put together, right? One yeah. on top of one flipped over on top yeah. of the other. So you've got like a disc or a frisbee kind yeah. of looking thing. Or a UFO. Or a UFO, yeah. So that's what our galaxy looks like. Yeah. We, our solar system, is way out on the edge of one of the little spiral arms. Because yeah. if you looked at it from the top, it'd look like a, yeah. it's got like a more like a uh, twisted starfish as it turns around. Okay, so we're out there. Now you're saying there's a couple of galaxies that orbit our yeah. 
go around it as, yeah. as, as if our galaxy was a bit like a, a star. Yeah, but really, really, I mean, really quickly, but really slowly. So their, their position in the night sky doesn't change dramatically from, from one night to the next. Right, OK. So it's not like that. But, OK. Um, they, yes, there are two satellite galaxies, the large Magellanic Cloud and the small Magellanic Cloud. I have to say I've never seen them because I've never been to the Southern Hemisphere. No. don't know. I would like to go one day, mm. see what stars they see. You've got all those injunctions to get over. Yeah, first. I've got yeah. to sort that first. <laughs> I've got to make some money, right? And stop being on local radio. Ah, yes. <laughs> Stop volunteering on local radio and make some money. Uh, <laughs> the, um, so in the night sky in, the, in, in uh, southern Australia are these two fi- big features of the large Magellanic and, and, sorry, and small Magellanic clouds, which are satellite galaxies. And um, some people, whose names escape me, but Markham will help me with that in a minute, have been studying the data from uh, the ESA, the European Space Agency's Gaia telescope, uh-huh. which is a telescope orbiting our planet and looking out at these galaxies. And it's been able to... They, these people study um, stars that have been ejected from systems. So they were looking at the um, Magellanic clouds to see... Uh, look for stars that have been ejected for systems. There's two ways that we know about, particularly, that stars get ejected. One is if you can think of binary stars very quickly orbiting each other. Right. At some point, one of them gets whipped off in the, into another direction. Oh, and right. Okay. Two of them are then like a slingshot. Moving. Exactly. So yeah. there's two of them are moving in different directions there, away from each other. Another one is where there's a cluster of stars which are moving around, and occasionally one will pop off. Um, but what they've discovered by looking at the smaller Magellanic Cloud is that all of the west wing of it... It's the west wing. It makes me want to watch telly. <laughs> <laughs> the west wing of it all, of it, all of the stars on the west wing are um, moving in the same direction away from the rest of the galaxy. And they're actually moving towards the large Magellanic Cloud. And what they know, therefore is that this must have been caused by, in the distant past, millions of years ago, these two ga- galaxies colliding with each other. Ah. Now, so, right, so this is the thing. But because uh, the distances are so great, when we look out, as we often talk about this, when we look out into the night sky, we're actually looking back, sometimes millions of years, mm. into the past. Yes, Absolutely. And if, as you said at the start of this conversation, when you would think that a, ga- a galaxy collision would be a dramatic event with lots of stars and planets crashing into each other. Yeah. But it's not necessarily like that because there's such a large amount of space between the stars. So you would see this kind of effect where all the stars would start moving in another direction because they'd be pulled by the gravity yeah. of the uh, galaxies colliding with each other yeah so if you can imagine two galaxies uh in space full of stars we're talking about millions of stars colliding not colliding with each other but the galaxies where these stars are orbiting around usually a black hole we think at the start at the center of a galaxy will collide with each other then most of the stars and planets will pass by without having an actual collision but there will be an effect on their orbits Hmm. and effect, effect on this, the direction that the stars are travelling. And that's exactly what we're seeing with this um, south, uh, sorry, south, this um, small Magellanic cloud, that all of the stars are sort of being pulled, in effect, towards the large Magellanic cloud as a result of that 
it's sort of, it, it's like a, it's called a collision but it's almost like a merger that then they come apart again if you can think of it like that rather than the collision but they go through each other yeah and then they start pulling each other in different directions which would be chaos yeah in, in, in for the orbits of each planet around each star but the actual idea of them colliding into each other the stars is is not what we're talking about i had something alarming once which i think you're going to confirm for us is that one day our galaxy which we call the milky way and another galaxy which we call andromeda are actually headed towards each other and that one day they will collide yes and uh, again, because of the space, the sheer distance between things, it's entirely possible that we'll pass through each other without having an interaction. Yeah, absolutely. It might, That's amazing, it, it, isn't it? It's it entirely possible, or it, it could be that we have a collision. It could be that our orbit changes significantly and changes life here on Earth for, in dramatic ways. But uh, it's not going to happen for an incredibly long time. So don't worry about that. <laughs> okay. Worry about the budget. Well, yes, absolutely. So this is the story of two Milky Way satellite galaxies uh, colliding, and it, but it actually happened uh, a few million years ago, and uh, we know this because of um, data that's come from a project called Gaia, which has been looking uh, at different points uh, at the uh, universe and has been able to to notice what's been changing, what's been moving. Uh, this uh, study has come from Sally Owie, University of Michigan Professor of Astronomy, and Johnny DeRigo Jones, who's an undergraduate researcher. I told you it would help me with that. Uh, <laughs> with an international team of researchers to examine chunks of stars which are known as runaways, which have been uh, ejected uh, within the, now, they call this the SMC. What's the SMC? The Small Magellanic Cloud. I like it when I get those things right. And, and uh, you're listening to Love and Science on BCFM. Um, so we've got a story now about clever crows. I love, I love this kind of thing um, because it seems to me every time we learn a little bit more about the natural world, we discover, you know, people use phrases like, oh, bird brain or, you know, a fish brain or something like that. And we discover that animals are endlessly uh, smarter than uh, than we think they are. And um, we've talked a little bit about this phenomenon before. We know that, that uh, crows, which belong to a family of birds called corvids, so that includes things like blue jays and um, rooks and crows and... Well, yes, we're we're, talk, we're talking about crows. There are various various creatures in this in this family that um, they are they are quite smart and they they make tools. And um, so, some scientists at the Max Planck Institute of Ornithology uh, in Germany, uh, a place called Seewiesen, and uh, at the University of Oxford, uh, have been presenting birds with a novel problem that they need to make new tools in order to solve. So this usually involves them uh, getting food, you know, like grubs or fruit or something out of, a, out of a puzzle box. And they're finding that the birds will think for a bit. Sometimes they go away, have a little bit of a think. Then they come back and pretty much instantly go about solving, uh, solving the problem. And um, uh, so this one, in the, the, the one that's being uh, written up in this particular story, I think this is Vicky Gill wrote about this on the, uh, on the, on the BBC website, um, is that uh, involves them uh, making what, what are called compound tools. So they make a puzzle box, food's uh, left behind a door, there's a little narrow gap, 
Um, the food's deep inside the box, and there's only some short sticks available for the birds to grab. But the sticks were designed so they could be combined, so they'll, they, they'll click together. One, one was hollow, uh, and it allows the other to slot inside. And it turns out that four out of eight of the crows, so half of the birds tested, they'd had no demonstration, they didn't see anybody doing it, they were given no help, they spontaneously connected the two sticks, mm. and then they were able to uh, fish out the, uh, the food inside the box. Now that is pretty impressive. It's amazing. I'm just watching the video actually on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and search for crows using compound tools, yeah. you'll find the University of Oxford have posted videos of it. And it's, it's, it's astonishing. You know, you describe it, and then you actually see them doing it. And it's, it is a really astonishing. Yeah. I wonder... I, there's part of me... It's it is amazing. I'm, I'm really sorry about this, but I have to do it. So it's about 50%. I wonder if they did a big enough survey of it whether yeah. you'd find out that about 52 percent of them <laughs> the crows were really smart yeah we won't go down that road Andrew. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it it is quite amazing and of course um i think that it's just a wonderful human uh, trait that we try and um uh, find out about um other creatures other than ourselves and find out about the natural world and you know i would defend uh for, forever the, the as a wonderful human activity that we go finding out what's going on mm. but uh, there's also something useful about this because um it, it does help us understand um in practical ways how uh, intelligence evolves and uh, you know by studying other creatures and um, how their brains work we may learn uh, something more about ourselves as well mm. into the process it's funny when i first read about this before i watched it i didn't think i, I sort of imagined that they were doing lots of trial and error trying things out before they did it but they don't no. they just they look at the situation yeah. they map it out they see what they need and then they combine the two things that you you wouldn't know unless you were an intelligent being that those two things can be connected together to make a long thing. Yes. I mean, the, 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 this is actually quite incredible. Uh, there, there's lots of, there are lots of experiments where they show a bird, t typically crows are, very, are good at this, they show it a problem and it might uh, stand there and look at it for a while. Quite often they go away and then come back and solve the problem immediately. Mm. And what, what's significant about that is that it means that the bird has imagination. In other words, the bird looks at the problem, remembers the problem, goes away, thinks about it, mm. solves the problem in its head and goes, right, that's what I'm going to do, yeah. comes back and fixes it. That is incredible. Yeah. And it's a long way from what we've been telling ourselves about birds uh, up until very recently. Mm. Yeah. Very, yeah. very, very impressive stuff. Um, let's have a uh, There's another story. Uh, spectacular diabetes treatment could um, end uh, daily insulin injections. This would be wonderful. This, uh, the Guardian carried uh, this story. Um, an hour-long procedure that stabilizes blood sugar levels of sufferers of type 2 diabetes is still effective one year on. In other words, they've been testing this and it seems to uh, still be working, which means that, you know, uh, people who have to inject themselves, which is a really horrible yeah. thing to have to do, may no longer have to 
have to do this. It's a potential medical breakthrough that could put an end to the daily insulin injections endured by people living with diabetes. And this is a study done by some um, Dutch scientists. They had a, an hour-long procedure trial with 50 patients in Amsterdam. A tube with a small balloon in its end is inserted through the mouth of the patient down into the small intestine. The balloon's inflated with hot water and the mucous membrane is burned away by uh, heat. Uh, and within two weeks, a new membrane develops, leading to an improvement in the patient's health. Now, I have to say, I don't understand how all this works. <laughs> um, but... Um, it seems to be having uh, a permanent effect on people. Yeah, well, that's that's brilliant, isn't it? I yeah. mean, and a, a, a year later, there's not showing the symptoms that they were uh, doing a year before they had this treatment. And that, yeah, if if, the, if we can find, I guess it's about finding the money, it's about continuing the trials, and. Uh, and, work, and working a way through to this being affordable for people, then it's going to be uh, a real change for people's lives, and that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, nine out of ten people diagnosed with diabetes have type 2, and it's estimated there are nearly one million people currently living with this condition who have yet to be diagnosed, and that 12.3 million people are at an increased risk due to high levels of sugar in their blood. By the way, did you know, you may well have heard this story, um, that... Um, you can actually have quite an impact on type 2 diabetes simply by cutting out sugar. And that people have reversed um, uh, having type 2 diabetes. And this is, I'm, not, I'm not making... This isn't yeah, yeah. Uh, so stuff that's um, uh, fanciful. This is actually um, peer-reviewed uh, research mm. um, by having a drastic cut mm. in uh, your, di your um, sugar levels... Mm. Uh, basically, cutting sugar out can have a, a, a major impact. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? How how we, we can have such a big impact on things. I always yeah. liken it to when I'm writing a, a feature article. Or I'm writing yeah. something, right? And I think, oh, that's bad. Yeah. And I change some of the words in it, and I go, yeah. oh, that's good. Yeah. And, and I changed that. And yeah. Had an effect on it. Yeah. Exactly the same way you can change your diet and have an effect on your health. Absolutely. Well, we wish you all better health. Um, thank you for listening to us on Love and Science this week. So from Andrew Glester and me, Malcolm Love, have yourselves a very good evening. Don't forget to join us again next week. Stay tuned for After the News when something will happen about getting Bristol home. Mm -hmm.